what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks again for listening. I'm sitting here with uh, my longtime friend, Teresa Closer. She's a technology executive, a VP in the technology marketing space. And we have a second guest today, Eric Elkins, CEO, chief strategist of Wide Focus. And uh, welcome. Thanks for making the time. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into this because it's uh, Teresa and I work together on technology marketing and I met Eric a couple months ago at a networking thing and to dive into kind of as a self-taught marketer to you know, be talking to two professionals in the space is, is fascinating to me. So <laughs> with that, welcome. Thank you. Thanks. So um, Eric, let's start with you. So wide focus, take me through what you guys do. We are a social media strategy agency, and what that means is we work with clients all over the country, um, learning about their target audiences and business goals, and then we create social media plans that are going to um, match those audiences with those goals. And so we manage their Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever the right channels are going to be. We run um, paid campaigns as well to uh, to support that organic reach and um, and to support the measurable goals like sales, revenue, website clicks. Um, and we do a team-based real-time approach, which means we have a fair amount of content that's written the week before for the following week, but we do a lot of updated content during the week to really make all of those social channels feel active and engaged and um, interactive with the audiences. And we specialize, although we do a lot of B2C um, Social media, we really specialize in business-to-business social media, which is a different beast that has a lot of the same rules, but just a a different approach sometimes. Sure. And question for you, Teresa, we actually worked on this together several times, is the challenge of social media for technology or technology companies where it's not something that you can see or touch or even put your finger on. And before we started recording, I was like, well, how do you communicate a social media strategy like i said nobody's taking selfies with their servers and their routers and their data centers right? you'd so, be surprised actually <laughs> we call them nerds <laughs> but what's the particular challenge you know, for you in marketing to have a social presence for something that's not well, i guess say like a human or like a consumer product Yeah, so what I found working with various technology companies is that, first of all, you have to help the executive team understand the value of social media and where it can help to drive business and specifically leads. So uh, helping them understand just the basic components. So with, for example, Eric and I worked on the Filament account, which was a blockchain company emerging technology emerging industry and where we really started was on the brand awareness side of things so we created a strategy around getting visibility and brand awareness for filament in the blockchain industry in the technology space and with enterprise buyers specifically in the mobile mobility market which is uh, anything 
that transports a human typically with two wheels or more. And um, then we grew from brand awareness to really focusing on driving leads for the company. And so after getting some traction in the awareness component, then we shifted to what um, Eric mentioned around ads. So we were then doing ads to not only get followers, which would help with brand awareness and visibility, but then also to get the sales leads. Um, Then in addition to that, we are starting to do social listening and really kind of tapping into the market to understand what were the needs and what were the drivers for our potential buyers. And that was something we were just starting to launch um, with Filament as well. So throughout that process, it's really educating and sharing the results with the executive team so they can understand where we're moving the needle. And one example with Filament was we, uh, we were able to show that we were driving leads from LinkedIn, but not from Twitter. And so Eric and the wide focus team and I sat down and adjusted our strategy so that we were pulling back on Twitter and upping our LinkedIn exposure and our LinkedIn activity and starting a new ad campaign within LinkedIn as well. And I think to follow up on that, um, <clears throat> especially with uh, technology firms and, and new ones who are tr- really trying to um, break into certain industries and build awareness is the thought leadership piece, making them seem like credible um, companies that are at the top of their game. And so a lot of that is uh, really showing who's working there and what they bring to the table. It's showing um, how they fit into the larger industry. Um, And to Teresa's point, when we realized that LinkedIn was driving more leads, we focused more um, of the ad spend and ad campaigns on LinkedIn, but we maintained Twitter as a way to build thought leadership and get into conversations that were happening. So the community manager here at Wide Focus, who was assigned to Filament, spent a lot of time looking for interesting conversations happening around blockchain and mobility on Twitter um, and interacting with companies, with influencers, with journalists and the media to make sure that um, they were putting Filament in into those conversations that were very specific and um, that drove more attention back to what the company was doing and where it was in that space. So thought leadership is such a big piece that people um, don't always understand uh, is so, it's like, it's the precursor in a lot of ways to driving leads because you need to be trustworthy. And the best way to show you're trustworthy is to have a decent sized audience and to be, to look smart in those conversations. Mm -hmm. I'll add to that too, because uh, one thing that Filament was very fortunate to have, and it was through our um, strategic public relations approach, was really we had a ton of earned media, just an astronomical amount of earned media. And earned media is essentially uh, coverage by large media outlets of Filament. Um, It wasn't content that we wrote. It was in a lot of cases content that we pitched, but then they wrote stories about us. Mm. And so one thing that Wide Focus did for us was, and I think we were perhaps a, an atypical client for you in that we had so much earned media, mm. was that you really kind of switched your strategy to more, I wouldn't say reactionary, but um, 
opportunistic. When we had earned media, we'd pull back on some of our planned social posts and really do real-time announcements of all mm -hmm. of our coverage. Yeah, signal boosts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other component that we really worked into was industry analysts such as Filament, excuse me, such as Forrester and Gartner. Uh, we had a lot of interaction with those analysts and Wide Focus helped us with engaging with these specific analysts and having those conversations on social media and keeping us top of mind, not only with the analysts, but with their buyers, which were our buyers. Yeah, we call that softening the market where um, even before the PR person or PR agency is pitching um, analysts and journalists in the media, we are following them, we're sharing their content, we're interacting with them in an authentic way so that when the pitch does go through, the, um, these people know who the company is. And they say, oh yeah, you guys retweeted me or mm -hmm. you shared my blog post. Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Or you watched my webinar, you yeah. listened to my webinar and you know, appreciate it. And yeah, I know you guys. Well, there's a saying from a sales book that I've lost a long time ago, but it was like, if I say it, it's sold. And if somebody else says it, it's gold, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of that credibility of a pitch versus proof, right? So that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, it's that third party content, you know, earned media is so powerful in, in building that credibility for sure. I've been having a lot of uh, guests and we've been talking about corporate culture. And when you were talking about the executives and getting buy-in, um, and you can answer this either generally or specifically about when you say it's social media to like a CEO, do they have preconceptions? Is it a negative perception that they have? And then, you know, in cases where they may not even use it, they don't understand it. How do you get them to see the value of social? So I think uh, Eric can chime in here too because we've had a couple of conversations around this, but what I've found is that you're right, Matt. A lot of them don't <laughs> use social media, uh, don't understand it. You mean they're not it. Snapchatting in the boardroom? <laughs> Come on. You, no. you really don't want them to. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times uh, what we'll do is we will be the face of social media for the C-level executives where we are ghostwriting content for them, ghostwriting mm. posts. Mm -hmm. um, so we are the, um, we are their, their personality on social. Another thing that uh, we have done is really uh, worked with agencies such as Wide Focus to help the CEO understand the value. And again, that goes back to what I said earlier, really just understanding how it's helping drive new business leads. Yeah, it's always, I think that's the biggest challenge we have on the B2B side is helping C-level uh, leadership understand the value of social media. Um, it's a lot easier now than it was 12 years ago, but um, there's, I always say, to if, if we get a CMO or a marketing director coming to us about doing social media for their company um, and they say, but I'm not sure the CEO really understands the value, I'm always happy to go and talk to the CEO and, and pitch our services um, in a way that's understandable. And it really comes down to um, how it's, it's still the best way to drive leads and um, how these different social channels are super, super targeted now in a, in a kind of terrifying way sometimes, but definitely 
um, in a very serious way of driving um, awareness to the decision makers within these companies. And then the other thing that um, I often talk about is just look at your competition and look how well they're using it. And you're being left by the wayside because you're not being active and uh, interacting with your potential audiences. And so we can usually make a case for it, um, but then we really have to, we live and die by our results. So some CMOs or some CEOs don't really care how many fans or followers they have. and they just want leads. And so you really have to focus on how to make sure you're driving up awareness and driving leads. With other ones, they really want, they want more fans or followers than their competition. And so you have to talk about the value of that and the cost, um, and then create a plan that's gonna meet whatever the CEO's needs are, but really, again, at the basis, what are the business goals? And so there's a lot of back and forth and um, a lot of trust involved, but I think even on a, like a three month to six month basis, we can show traction pretty well. And that is usually what turns people around and helps them understand the value of it. So Eric and I did do a three month trial. Mm-hmm. Um, we started there and then renewed for another six months. Uh, and then I also wanna tell a story that you shared with me where um, a CEO that you were pitching, you know, approached and said, you know, I looked at the person who referred the the company that referred him to you and you know they don't have as many followers why not you know he, so he was a ceo who was really interested in followers and that meant a lot to him in terms of i'm assuming brand awareness brand visibility um but then you know my ceo on the other side it was interesting because i had a lot of autonomy as the head of marketing and uh i ended up hiring the social firm and uh, Wide Focus. And my CEO came back to me probably about a month in and said, you know, I was wondering how you were maintaining all those posts and how you were doing that kind of volume. Because at that point I had told her that I hired a social firm. And so for her, uh, you know, the volume um, in addition to the leads for the sales team was really relevant. And then the CEO that I referred to, another CEO I referred to Eric, also commented about the volume and mm-hmm. how he really started to notice filament uh, through social media. Because social was, and it still is, because you ended up winning that client, mm-hmm. um, is a key component of their marketing strategy, and it was for filament as well. Yeah, usually the first thing... Um that a company notices when we take on their social media is that sustained, consistent, strategic approach. Like from, you know, from the moment we finish our discovery process, which we can often run pretty quickly, um, to when we start actually posting and tweeting for these companies, they see an immediate increase, not just in the volume and the quality of the posts, but in the interactions in the audience. So we still like, you know, I always talk about a slow and steady approach to this, which is we're, we know that it's gonna take a little bit for the traction to hit, but everybody sees a bolus of um, all of those metrics because they might be going from posting when someone has time or you know once or twice a week or something like that to multiple t- tweets a day and you know Facebook posts every day or maybe even two depending, um, and then LinkedIn as well. And so that just consistency, sometimes the full value isn't seen for 
a couple of months, but that immediate uh, response and that immediate consistency and volume tends to get people's attention and, and makes these companies appear in places that they'd never appeared before. Yeah, um, I also loved what you did for Filament in that I really wanted some immediate traction, visibility, and posts. And so you modified your approach and did the discovery session in conjunction with the launch. So mm -hmm. instead of doing the upfront discovery, we just immediately went to launch, started doing the post, and started doing the discovery session in combination, which is super effective for us because I wanted some immediate traction because we had the, the three-month time period that we did as a trial with wide focus was also a pre-launch period for a major product release. And so we wanted to create that thought leadership that Eric mentioned in the specific space, which was mobility, so that as soon as we launched, people knew us. Yeah, we, um, I call it building the plane on the runway. Um, <laughs> when, we, when I started the company back in 2007, we would do like three to four week discovery uh, packages before we even pitched the social media side and the execution side. And more and more companies would be like, yeah, 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 we want that stuff, but we just need you to start posting on Facebook right now. Like our person left or uh, quit, got sick, or it just hasn't been good. And we have uh, a conference coming up or a trade show or a product launch and we just need stuff. And so um, we're really good at what, what's really cool about it is we do a lot of these combined discovery and planning packages now or discovery and execution packages. Um, and we learn so much by just writing the content, getting the feedback, um, putting the posts out there and the tweets and starting to see what content is resonating and what's not doing AB testing on the paid side. So whether it's building a fan base or boosting posts to get more visibility or driving website clicks campaigns, like if the sooner we start that, the more information we get so that that discovery process and the execution sort of dovetail together within the couple of months and we know better what's really working. And so it is, um, it's been interesting though, because people are less, we do these like competitive scorecards and we used to do these whole conversational media sweeps and now people really, really want competitive scorecards, uh, but they don't like, we look, they do them eventually, but they don't really care about any of that other stuff. Well, when you talk about the discovery process and I want to pay you both a compliment in terms of what has been important to me when I've been meeting people for this podcast or professionally like the past couple of years is the term professional and the discovery process that both of you went through for just this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is all Teresa. She's the most prepared human being I've ever met. One of the best things about working with her uh, on filament for my team was she really kept them on their toes and we learned as much from her as I think she did from us in the sense of what a, listening to what a client really needs and um, what the measurements of success are for that client. Um, she helped my team really um, get a clear understanding of that and be much more prepared for meetings than maybe when, they, when we started meeting with her. So that preparation that she always has carried over to um, the expectations of the team and it was super valuable for them on a professional basis and also for us as a company. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> well, and, and thank you, Teresa, because I, you sent me this when we started talking about scheduling this and <laughs> like my preparation, like I'm, I'm more about the, the human connection and sort of letting the conversation breathe and flow and all that. And then 
you know, as a, as a struggling, uh, with ADHD and then, you know, not having a great attention to detail, which I'm always like, I opened this. I was like, my response back to you is, do you really expect me to read this? It was like three pages of notes. It was awesome. Which was, which is great, which is great. But you know, it, it just goes to show that I think, um, the perception of social media could be kind of, you know, shoot from the hip, kind of like millennials, but with a professional approach and discovery and methodology, it yields results. And so that's a long roundabout compliment, but it was, it was very cool to see. And I can attest to working with you previously, Teresa, that that's your approach and it works. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's so interesting because we have lots of different clients all over the country uh, we answer to marketing directors, we answer to CMOs, we answer to um, digital media strategists, we answer to um, marketing coordinators who just don't have the resources to do social media. Um, and so we have to learn what their needs are and how to communicate with them. Um, and so Teresa was like, I know my team at first felt really challenged because she was so much so prepared and had questions that they weren't prepared to answer, um, but they should have been. And so it was really cool for all of us because after every um, meeting with Teresa, we'd debrief and I'd say, all right guys, why didn't you know this? And why didn't you, um, why didn't you have this prepared and this answer? And they were like, we just, it kind of slipped their mind. And so it really forced them to up their game. And before every meeting with Teresa, it would be like, well, what do you think she's going to ask this time? And let's make sure we have that in place because these are things people should know. Um, so I, um, like I said, we learned a lot. It was really awesome to have something, someone who was so data-driven, but also understood um, the human effect of what social media is and building a relationship. Um, so you want to build relationships with your target audiences and, and specifically on B2B, you know, you're still marketing to people. You're just marketing to very specific decision makers in these larger companies. Um, so that she understood that sort of squishy, organic, you want to make people like you and um, find your content compelling and useful to them. But at the same time, you got to measure those results and make sure that you're actually doing something and spending the time and money that's worthwhile. So, um, that confluence of what Teresa brings to the table helped us like all get stronger as a team. So it's not often that we have a client who teaches us stuff and gets us stronger. So that was really a cool part of the experience for us. You know, speaking of the people side of things, one thing I distinctly recall too about our social media channels, and we at Filament used LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, our audience wasn't on Facebook and Oh, you have a, an update to that. Yeah, no, I, I was just gonna say that wasn't actually true. Is because your CEO was a, um, had an ethical problem with Facebook. Uh, yes, but <laughs> I think that also you're right. We didn't really do the investigation into Facebook right. to either confirm or discount Facebook as yeah. a it was medium for us. Yeah, this is what I'm mm. saying. Yeah, so. it was pretty much off yeah. the table. You're right, but. To go back to my original point, yeah. it was really around how much engagement we had with our audience on both of those channels. If you went into either of our channels, which I would periodically do, uh, mostly because I was participating, not because I needed to oversee White Focus's work, it, there were the number of um, 
comments and likes and shares um, was really high um, for our business. And so that was one thing that Wide Focus really monitored for us was the amount of participation, but also then engaging with that, mm. uh, with the audiences on both channels. And so that was, instead of doing more of the planned post, we were engaging mm -hmm. with all of the audience members on both those channels because it was really high for us. Yeah, that real-time piece, <clears throat> excuse me, that real-time piece is super important. And I think it's, um, it's one of the things that, one of the things that, um, defines us as a as a, an agency is we say we're not a set it forget it kind of yeah. social media company so we're monitoring we're all up in your social media every day and with filament that meant if a piece of earned content came up we were there um, making sure it got all the visibility it needed um, but if there were interactions if there are questions customer service issues positive comments we were there cultivating that and making that stronger and so um, and we we had Teresa's trust that we knew how to answer on behalf of the company and do that. Yeah, I, these guys, um, Wide Focus, had my trust from day one. Um, blockchain is not <clears throat> a simple technology; it's very complex. And <laughs> no kidding. I, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so I hired uh, Wide Focus, and I was actually on vacation up in the mountains, and literally at a place at 11,000 feet, no internet connection, no cell phone connection, nothing. So I drove down into Breckenridge to the public library and pulled up a chair, beautiful mountain view, opened up the first um, draft of social media posts from um, KT Hines, who is our community um, coordinator, um, our account a manager, sorry, yeah. KT, um, and lead on our account. And mm -hmm. I read them and made a couple word changes. And I mean word changes on probably close to 30 posts or so, 20 or 30 posts. And uh, emailed KT, <laughs> CC'd Eric and said, I thought I was going to have to train you guys for close to a month and just really be working with you and educating you and bringing you up to speed. But at this point, I'm turning you over to my PR person who will review these weekly. And I'm out of the picture, except for monthly strategy uh, calls and account updates. And that I stepped out. It was really, truly amazing in terms of your team's ability to get up to speed on a really tough technology. And it was just super impressive. Thank you. Um, that's really good to hear. I always say we start with writers. So um, our community managers are writers first um, and they love the chance to be chameleons, you know, so they if they're writing for a blockchain company, they write in a very specific voice that um, they work with the client to um, to clarify and to make concise. And then they might also work with, um, well, like KT, she also works with a pet CBD brand. And so it's all about cute dogs and a whole different sort of messaging and a, and a different voice. And part of the joy of their job is to learn new things, learn new industries, take on that voice and um, become subject matter experts, at least to a certain degree. Uh, and then, you know, work their work their way through with the client of honing in what the language is supposed, language is supposed to be and what the goals are and what the 
um, what the tone needs to be. And it was so cool that she wrote all this content about blockchain, which was a mix of owned and curated. Um, and we got minimal feedback from you because it just she nailed it on the first try. She did. And that doesn't on. always happen, to be sure. But <laughs> if you start out with strong writers, it happens a lot faster. And then clients do trust us to just run with it once they get that we know what we're doing. And smart people, too. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love the um, tangential approach to the people that you hire, right? Because you wouldn't think that someone that, at least maybe at first pass, that's a writer, which I would say is old technology, right? Mm -hmm. The first communication medium, right? But rather than having people that know social media inside and out, you've gone basically back to the foundation of communication. And so um, I really like that approach to like who's on your team as, as a, you know, for staff, which is really cool. Yeah, it's hard. Some of the hardest, the biggest challenges we have here um, are finding good people because we don't go for people who have strong social media chops if they don't also have strong writing chops. I'd much rather take a strong writer and teach that person social media processes and train that person to be a good social media community manager. Then it's that's a lot that has a much better long-term effect than trying to than finding someone who's good at social media but isn't a strong writer. Um, and several of the members of this team have MFAs in writing. Like they have super strong chops and they're really smart and they have a strong work ethic. And so we can teach them what they need to know on the social media management side. Um, and they get, because we're a team-based approach, they get they have a support system from the start. But yeah, I feel like there are a lot of individual practitioners out there who know social media, but their writing just isn't strong. And every you know we need good images and we need good video, but if the positioning isn't correct and the writing isn't, doesn't stand out, then people aren't gonna click. And so, that's always been an important piece from the start. I mean, as a writer myself, that's I always started with that uh, perspective. There's been songs that I've heard that have had great instrumentals, great melodies, everything was in there. And then just some of the lyrics were like, <laughs> this, is, this is what made it to air, right? Like you didn't <laughs> run a, a pass through this at all. Like no revision, no thesaurus, nothing. Right? <laughs> We see that in social, like oh, totally. all the time. And you look at some of these major brands who nobody's copy editing, you know? And so you see typos in their tweets or you see some of these big companies uh, with Facebook posts that are full of errors or missing apostrophes. And um, my team, I, they, they learn very quickly um, that I'm a harsh editor, or I should say a strong editor. And I come from the <laughs> newspaper. So, and some, some, People come on board here at Wide Focus and they don't last very long because they're not getting used to getting that sort of feedback. And I don't do it in a mean way anymore. Like I've learned how to be better about um, <laughs> copy editing in a way that doesn't offend the, the uh, community manager. But they also know that their writing is going to get stronger because we don't, um, if we do a typo or use the wrong word or put the apostrophe in the wrong place, that looks bad for our brand and for our clients. Um, and these clients need to look professional and credible and they can't if the, or they won't look as professional and credible if there are typos and in, in poor syntax. So um, it's, it, it, 
it's just like when we go up uh, against other companies for social media contracts and then say we don't get it for some reason and then we see the content that they're putting out there, it two-thirds of the time it's like just really poorly written and not strategic and it devastates me because you know writing is such an important piece now of all marketing and all interaction every people are reading and writing more than they ever have before because of social media and so it has to be high quality it has to stand out how do you determine if someone's a good writer do you have an onboarding process yeah we so we start out with um you know they send their resume and they send some writing samples but what we found the harsh lesson we learned was a lot of those writing samples were highly edited by somebody else. <laughs> um, so now we do paid auditions with the people who are looking like they're going to be um, a good prospect for us. Oh. And so for me, it was like, I need them to write under certain conditions and to give them a specific assignment and see how they do. But I don't believe in spec work. I think you pay writers for doing their work. So we pay, um, we do paid auditions where we give them an assignment where they have to write a certain number of posts and tweets. Um, we give them the name of the client and um, a brief understanding of the target audiences and the tone and the voice um, and say, go find uh, three pieces of owned or three, write three owned posts and tweets that are about the company based on what you learned from the website. And then we want you to find curated posts that are going to um, be resonant for those target audiences, third party content that's going to be interesting for those same audiences and write uh, tweets and posts for that. And then we can see pretty quickly um, if they get it. And some people might have like the wrong tone or not really quite get what the company does, but the writing's really good. Um, and other ones, they might sort of get it, but the writing is haphazard or just isn't very strong. And so um, it's still no uh, guarantee that once they come on board, they're gonna be strong in that way, but it gives us a good initial indicator of who has strong writing chops and um, who has the potential to, to, to be better. I always promise new employees two things that they're gonna get out of working, from, working with wide focus. The first is they're gonna become stronger writers because every piece of writing goes through a, um, a copy editing process and it's, it goes through an approval process. So um, every piece of writing is seen by our copy editor first. And a lot of that, it used to be just even a few months ago, every piece of writing went through me after the copy editor because I really wanted to make sure everything was, was right. And um, luckily this copy editor is so strong that um, I'm still looking at a lot of stuff, but if, if he's looking at it and um, the, he and the community manager work together, then I know that it's gonna be really strong content. Um, so I always say, back. so that's a long way of saying, I always say the two things are, you're gonna become a stronger writer because you're gonna get lots of feedback. And if you can take it and learn for, from it, you're gonna, your writing's gonna become tighter, um, more interesting, more expressive. Um, and then you're also gonna get really true social media chops that are gonna, um, serve you well whether you stay here or move on and we've had a lot of community managers work here for several years and then get picked up by major brands because they're strong writers and they know social media so it's heartbreaking when they leave but it also makes me proud that we've helped them develop into stronger um, social media people we need more people out there doing social media who are strong writers and who are strategic because it makes us all look better and We've had plenty of clients or potential clients who'd said, oh yeah, we tried social media, it didn't work. And it was because they didn't have a consistent approach, the writing was bad, they just didn't have a strategy behind it. 
something I've learned, there's a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm, yeah. And that opened my eyes to that your first revision is basically going to be trash, right? It's, it, nothing survives first contact. And if it's, you know, it needs to be edited. And it also helped me separate my, myself from any product I put out. And mm-hmm. I look back on perhaps the first or second podcast episode mm-hmm. I put out that was like, I don't think I could listen to it for $10,000. Like, but it has to start somewhere, right? Yeah. But then separating my ego from any creative process was something that was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not being criticized. Like this piece of paper that I put words on is being criticized. And that mm-hmm. was um, somewhat transformational for me in doing creative endeavors. Yeah, it's a harsh lesson for some of our new community managers. Um, when they, like some of them pick it up right away. The MFA people, they've had their writing torn down for the last three years, so they're used to it and they understand it. For some people who are strong writers and haven't had a lot of strong feedback about it, those initial rounds of content revisions can be really hard for them when everything's redlined because it's not the language we use at Wide Focus, or it doesn't match the client's voice, or it's just wrong. Like, um, I've learned that I have to be much more, I have to cultivate that relationship much more with our junior level people to make sure they understand that, again, like you said, I'm not attacking you, we're not attacking um, your abilities, we're helping you be stronger and, and um, helping this writing, your writing match what the client needs. But. We've had people leave after three weeks because nobody's ever critiqued their writing before and it's just really hard for them. And I will take responsibility, especially in the first few years of, um, and it's like been a big lesson for me in the last 12 years of how to provide that kind of feedback in such a way that people aren't feeling attacked by it. And um, I've definitely made my mistakes along the way, but. um, I'm not yelling at you, I'm just yelling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like. You know, I was I was uh, compared to Darth Vader every once in a while because they were just like terrified of me reading their writing because um, from the newspaper time and you know I was you just learn to just take the cuts and keep going and I realized that they need more um, for lack of a better word coddling a lot of the mm. time and it's understandable like if nobody's ever really critiqued your work and then suddenly you go into this new job and everything you do is getting redlined and uh, you know marked out and um, it's a lot and it can be for like unless you can and I feel like our responsibility is when people have a hard time with it we need to be a lot softer with them and a lot more understanding and I've uh, worked hard to hire people who even if I'm not the one always capable of doing that there's a buffer between me and that person there's someone saying yeah it's always hard those first few weeks because you have to relearn how to write like you have to write for a very specific audience and under um you know short and sweet and all of that other stuff and so um helping them understand that we're not attacking them and taking your ego out of it um is probably one of the most difficult but more fundamental things a good social media community manager needs to do from the start So that actually brings up, um, I'd love to hear your perspective, Eric, on how social media has changed over time, because I remember the early days of social media, and I think you and I both got into it about the same time, 2009, 2008 kind of time period. You were probably a little earlier than that. 2007, yeah. And um, 
I remember working with some social some social media folks and you know there was a photo that was super blurry and there were typos in the <laughs> post and and the whole uh, approach back then at least with the people that I worked with was uh, get it out make it real time quality doesn't matter and to your point I've really seen a big shift now to where quality matters and it matters not only to the producers those who are creating the content for social media but the consumers too and I mean consumers whether they're a business or a person and um the shift has really been to higher quality content, higher quality images. Don't push out a tweet without a photo or a video. Same with any other post, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn, because engagement numbers are higher, uh, stickiness is higher. Mm. So that's just kind of my observation of the social media landscape. I'd love mm -hmm. to hear kind of your perspective or Matt, what you've witnessed as well from either one of you. Yeah. Um I'll tell you what hasn't changed. Great question, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to go to the coffee shop. <laughs> you take over. There are a couple nearby. Yeah. Lohi has. We'll let you know when we're finished. That's we'll right. Text you. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what hasn't changed, and I still think about this a lot because I used to do. I, I do occasional speaking engagements, but I did a ton in the like 2007, 8, 9 when people were really thinking social media was still just for kids. And yeah. I was like, no, no, this is really important. Um, and what I always said was, here's what, here's how it's fun, social media is fundamentally different. Um, and the pillars are content and conversation. And the idea is that on the content side, um, up until the web and really up until social media, content was always a one-way street, right? Like you put your content out there and it had to be shared physically. So you wrote a news newspaper article or read a newspaper article and you loved it and you wanted to share it. You had to like cut it out and, and you know, give it to someone. So my mom, even till just a few years ago, would cut out magazine articles and put a post-it note on it and put it in the mail and send it to me. And that's how you shared content, whether it was mixtapes or CDs or whatever <laughs> else or a fax, right? Like there was no easy way to quickly disseminate content that you found interesting. Um, and that has changed fundamentally. Now you read a cool article, uh, and now more and more you're seeing the articles on social channels, and then you reshare it on social channels. Um, so that that visibility has is made has fundamentally changed the way we communicate. And then on the uh, conversation side, now you can actually have conversations around mm -hmm. that content in real time. Um, you're not just yelling at the TV anymore. Now you can yell at Twitter, right? And so. Um, even then, I could see that that was emerging, these two pieces and the way they interact were emerging as the really revolutionary um, pieces of what social media is. And I always said, it doesn't matter what um, channel you're working with, what new platform pops up, whether it's Snapchat or Peach or whatever else, You, when you're approaching it from um, the professional side of things, you say, all right, what's the content play and how does it work and what content performs best here and where are the conversations taking place that I need to be mm -hmm. a part of? Um, and so that's even now, no, that hasn't changed. What has changed, I think, is um, first of all, there's the targeting, which has changed mm -hmm. fundamentally, yeah. um, especially with Facebook, for instance. Um, I think and, with LinkedIn too, sorry. And LinkedIn too, yeah, yeah. Uh, and even Twitter, but yep. um, Facebook launched that idea of, hey, we know so much about you that we can send targeted ads to your 
to the target audiences that you want. Um, and there's a and what's emerging because of that is this tension between uh, distrust and desire. And so, like, we give up our personal data because we want better content and we want to be able to interact for free with all these things. Um, and for some of us, like, I like that I have targeted ads, even though sometimes they're way off or scary because they're really, really targeted and know more <laughs> about me than maybe anybody else does. Um, on the business side, I think um, it's a blessing and a curse because we definitely, like, especially with LinkedIn, where we can get right down to an individual person or serve an ad to a specific job, um, to an occupation or a job title, it's really cool. And on Facebook, we can use the, the pixel to create these look-alike audiences based on current targets. There are all these ways we can um, get content in front of the right people. Um, but it is also, you have to be much more careful now because people are creeped out. And um, these social channels haven't done a good job of protecting our privacy and keeping and maintaining that trust. And, and I can tell you for Facebook, for us, it's still, even on the B2B side, it's the most powerful way to get in front of decision makers um, and to build visibility. And LinkedIn works really well because it's with professionals and because you can target it that way. But Facebook is where we can serve ads to, you know, the CTO of a, of a company because of these lookalike audiences. Um, but Facebook is really, the millennials have largely turned it into, for them, it's just a utility like email. The younger audiences are hardly on it at all. Um, and the major audiences on Facebook now are uh, Gen Xers and baby boomers. Mm -hmm. And so if your target audience is there, awesome, you can get in front of them. But it's changed in the sense that I've always said, fit, you know, pick the channels that are going to reach your target audiences. But like Facebook is just essential now, you know, who, no matter who your target audiences are, you probably need to do something on Facebook because that's still the behemoth of where you're going to get the most visibility. And then you put money into LinkedIn, especially on the B2B side, because that's where you're going to get your leads. And so um, to me, that's where the change has been is this kind of confluence of um, privacy concerns with super, super direct targeting and um, having one foot on either side and making sure that you're reaching those audiences but not creeping them out at the same time. Yeah, so what started out as more content dissemination has now been a source for um, advertising and yeah. generating new business. Yeah, and we always, from the start, I you know, people would say, oh, social media is just good for brand awareness. And um, <clears throat> I never, I always said, no, we can measure results, we can drive visibility, but we can also drive website clicks. Um, but now we really, really can because we can use targeted advertising to do that. And so that's why we, every client has, um, you know, has a retainer for all of the, the management and the organic stuff. And every client has an ad spend budget because we're supplementing and complementing that organic reach with the paid side. And the paid side's where you see the real visibility and the, and the results, the referred website traffic and the revenue and the lead generation. And that is a big difference. We didn't have a, a dedicated yeah. ad strategist till like three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Well, well, uh, Go I'm going to raise my hand. Sorry. <laughs> may I ask a question, Teresa? <laughs> you may. Thank you. <laughs> so, 
Uh, you talk about your mom sending you articles, Eric. I remember yeah. when I had my very first job in engineering, we'd get all these trade magazines like EE Times or whatever it was. And I would tear the interesting ads out and put them on my bulletin board. And so when I've been responsible for ad campaigns in my career, I would approach it from that very mindset of like, is this something that I would tear out of a magazine and then mail to somebody or stick on my bulletin board? Mm -hmm. And so it's led to a little bit of a more creative mindset rather than just like in the bike industry, you open up a bike uh, magazine, all the ads feature somebody on a bike, typically a white male. And is this an ad for helmet, shoes, tires, sunglasses, bike, apparel, food, who knows, right? And so it's just, it all just blends together. And yeah, I think there's probably safety in numbers from that. It's like, this is just boring to look at. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I was going to say is that I found a Reddit post a couple years ago about a guy that targeted his roommate for Facebook yes. ads. <laughs> I'll post that and I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it. But like every everything that he said, like he'd get served up an ad the next day <laughs> and the dude started freaking out. <laughs> but it was just brilliantly executed and he wrote <clears throat> in terms of then like engagement, right? So he wrote this blog post about his friend and targeting him but the guy his day job i believe was a digital social marketer <clears throat> and then he posted the blog to drive traffic to his site to then get business and i was like oh so that whole ecosystem of yeah. exposure and skill set and things like that so yeah i call it we our tagline for years and we still say it sometimes is uh creating constellations of brand experiences so that you're interacting with these brands in all these different ways until it finally gets through to you and you're like, oh, I need this. Yeah. So question for you, Teresa, on mm-hmm. engagement. I'm raising my hand again. <laughs> um, as a marketing professional, do you have different insights into engagement? Like, is there a quality score with engagement is what I'm trying to find out. Because like for me, I see likes and reshares and comments, but is there more data with you as a professional that you see that would make one engagement higher quality than the other? Yeah, well, any kind of um, conversion point. So not just you know, liking something or commenting, but with Wide Focus, we are able to literally track someone from a social media channel to our website and then their path on the website and then a conversion, in other words, completing a contact form. And so, yeah, that type of engagement was obviously high value. And then if they fit into a specific buyer persona for us, then even higher value. Uh, But typically the form conversion on the website was literally, can I get pricing? Can I get on a call? Can I talk to you about this product? So it was all very much um, high quality leads that were then turned over to sales because there was an action involved. Yeah, you changed something again for me in the way I pitched B2B is one of the things you asked was how can this enable the sales process? And um, we've always done it, but we didn't really talk about it in a very specific way. And, and 
Um, you helped me rethink how we talk about that. Um, and enabling not just your sales team in the sense of sending them leads that they can follow up on, but helping them um, use social media and especially LinkedIn to their benefit to drive more lead generation. Um, and so I feel like, especially on the B2B side, enabling your sales team, social media has like done right, it can really do that. Um, and I, that was something that you had me pondering over and noodling over for several months to figure out what that really meant and then how we could do it. And it was, it's been really helpful in pitching future B2B companies, especially tech companies, to say, we can enable your sales team to do better at their jobs. And I think you guys are really good too at enabling across the organization because mm -hmm. your team, prior to any big announcement or any uh, really significant news, earned news coverage that we were getting, uh, the wide focus team would write tweets for not only our staff, but then also for our investors. And so our investors were super supportive. Mm -hmm. And so we would send them tweets or LinkedIn posts with images um, mm. so we could go ahead and disseminate our news much faster to a broader audience and um, get more eyes on it really quickly. And that was you, through you guys really enabling the team, not only the sales, but our whole ecos ecosystem around the company. Yeah, and you know what else we created because of, at your request, um, was we've always helped companies when they go to trade shows and mm -hmm. um, conferences um, by like just having ears to ground and doing real-time interactions with other um, participants. But what you had us do was create um, uh, coaching documents, basically, yeah. for people who were going to be there on the ground, right? And so they would get this, this uh, document from us that said, hey, here's the event that you're going to, here are the hashtags that are being used, here's how you could use them, here are some sample tweets and LinkedIn posts you can use, and here are some people you should follow or try to interact with while you're there. And also, while you're there, here are the um, video snippets and photos that we'd love for you to send to us so we can make sure that they get out there. And those like event briefings, or event briefs, I guess they were called, um, some of your team used them and used them really well and other ones ignored them, but it gave them, it equipped them with something once they got there to have a very specific, concrete um, set of responsibilities in addition to going to the talks or working the booths or whatever else that was. Um, and I feel like if you're doing social media for a company and your company is going to be at conferences and trade shows and some of these big leadership seminars that people from Filament were going to, you need to equip them with at least, you know, a modicum of structure that they can use so that they can leverage that in a big way. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good point um, because we also had um, the, that we would have the team like shoot photos, but what I would do is again, I would step out of the picture here and I would create a Slack channel for that event. Mm -hmm. And then uh, KT, Wide Focus's um, dedicated community manager for us, I just add her to that channel. And she, if she wasn't getting what she needed in terms of real-time photos, real-time videos, because a lot of times we were speaking at the events mm -hmm. or we were doing a demo at the event. And so we'd want to be promoting that session. 
and in real time. And so KT would get on Slack and Slack the team members at the event and say, hey guys, just a reminder, send me a photo. So I could really remove myself out of the process, but keep real time content mm-hmm. feeding into our social streams. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it really was. It was fun for her too. Um, KT is just like one of the most dedicated employees I've ever had. and. Um, she loved being like, and she'd have to get up at five or six in the morning sometimes. I guess she was usually up anyway, but she'd be online on Slack because some of these things were in Switzerland or, you know, other parts of the world or country and the time difference was there. And she'd be online on Slack at five or six in the morning doing real-time updates and gathering that material so that she would have it for later in the day. And it was exciting for her, like, to be... She couldn't be there at the event. And sometimes um, our clients have the budget to send... The community manager there. Nice. Community manager there is a social media correspondent and do the real time <clears> stuff. <throat> but in that case, she sort of felt like she was because she was able to interact with your team. It was really fun for her. Yeah, and that was a. There was actually a point in one of the conferences where our CEO was attending, mm-hmm. and I just slacked her really quick and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to be on stage at this time. We're going to be demoing." And it was awesome because she's like, oh, awesome, great. You know, I'll go there and shot a quick video and send it off to KT. So, you know, we definitely had buy-in at the executive level to the point where, you know, they were helping out on social and engaging. Well, I like your philosophy too, Teresa, about understanding that when you were talking about your your funnel, I guess your your marketing funnel, that the end point of that was to get the customer engaged with sales, right? And I don't know if it's where when I've seen ads that are terrible or campaigns that are terrible, that perhaps the marketing people don't get the point of the whole exercise is to get the customer engaged and to get them to get your service or your product or something like that. So the fact that you have a dual mind in that and get that side of it, I think makes the campaigns and everything stronger because you have the end point in mind. I think that's a great point. And it probably goes back to what Eric mentioned about the start of social media and that it was something for kids to play with. And I think that a lot of companies probably do it wrong in my mind in that it's just a place to like push a conversation without a goal. And I think if you go back to this strategy uh, that why focus employees, you know, have a goal in mind, develop a strategy and then deploy and execute against that. I think that we could end the bad rap that social media gets. Yeah. It's not just top of the funnel. And maybe no. it was mostly there at the beginning, but now it's every step of the conversion funnel. You can do social strategies and tactics to move people down to the conversion pro- through and, the conversion pro- process. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I agree because that's truly when we approached ours, it was let's create the brand awareness, let's switch into lead generation, and then let's switch into gathering sentiment mm-hmm. to help inform our decisions. So. Yeah, it's curious the <clears throat> the disconnect that somebody would have if they spend time and money on a logo or a color scheme or even their suit and tie and they wouldn't have the awareness or the desire to have their personal and professional social media have the same thought and intention behind it. 
like I, I see that as just flat earth, right? Like how, how can you not understand this, right? You invest all this time everywhere else, but this is how you're presented to the digital community. And yeah, there's always somebody that's not going to get it. But to me, I think, especially since you know 2008, you can't separate it anymore. Well, and then we have so many people, like I said, who when we're talking to them about this and they said, oh, we tried social media, it doesn't work for us. And it's like, they didn't really, they tried it, that's exactly it, right? <laughs> like they hired an intern or they had their web development company post on Facebook every once in a while and they didn't get any sales. So crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, that's always, still I feel like our biggest competition is previous bad experiences more than anything else. Um, and proving the value of a sustained strategic approach. And, and like you said, I think that's a really good point, Matt, is that they'll spend you know thousands of dollars to get the perfect logo designed and they will um, do you know email marketing and, and work really hard at that. But they leave social to the kids or to the intern or um, to the marketing coordinator's daughter because they don't realize that that's like they're leaving money on the table. It's a revenue driver if you do it right. Um, and I always say, what's your value of acquisition of a new client or a new customer? And then how can you stack that up against what you're gonna pay? And so we have clients where the value of acquisition is hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if we can drive one new client in the course of a whole year, we're more than paying our value, mm -hmm. um, but we're trying to drive multiple ones a month. And we have other ones where um, it's a lower, like this, uh, the pet CBD company, you know, it's $25, $30 mm -hmm. per, initial purchase and we say all right how many sales do we need to drive through social channels to pay for ourselves and then some and so i think anybody looking into putting money towards social media and what that's going to cost needs to say what's the value of the acquisition of a new client and also how much money am i losing by not using these tools to drive up that revenue and drive those sales I think that says a lot about your character as well eric because you're thinking about that like how do you get them how do you pay for yourself mm -hmm. rather than just taking their money, doing your job, which can be measured, but ultimately it's measured in terms of their conversion and sales. And if they go out of business, you lose a client, but that sense of um, accountability and responsibility to that bottom line, I think now I have a much better sense of the, the direction and the approach that you take, which I think is it's very cool, but also somewhat rare, right? Hey, let's take your money and we'll do an ad campaign and mm. thanks, you know? Well, we build relationships, you know, and we, I always say we're, we're, a, um, we hug our clients. Like we want our clients to love us and we want to show them that we're creating something of value. Sometimes it's simple as, uh, showing the Google analytics of a conversion that took place from a social channel or a specific link. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's harder. We work with master plan communities who are trying to sell homes and we're creating a sense of place and an aesthetic, but we can also drive calls for model home tours. And you know, like um, my biggest job as the owner of the company, I think is proving the value of what we do, not just to potential new customers, but to our current customers. And I always say to my team, I'm like, if we become a utility to them, we're not special and we're not proving ourselves and we're just doing our job. So I always say that we need to add some sparkle to what we do to come up with new cool ideas and to um, be 
you know, to delight our clients in any way possible. And it's not just because we want them to keep doing business with them, with us. It's because we actually care about them. And, um, we like, we want, I always say our biggest job is to make our, our clients look good. Like our job with Teresa, yes, it was absolutely to drive revenue and sales and all of that. But our fundamental job was to make Teresa look good and to make her decisions um, look be right and to um, show the value of, of her trust in us. And so whether it's a marketing coordinator or um, a CMO, we want them, our whole job is to support them in their success. And that's a very personal approach that I think um, forces us to really think about what's the value of what we're doing and how can we help that person at that company um, share that value with the rest of the, the team. And that's really critical for me and my roles because I work with startups and you typically have limited budget and you have to be able to show mm. where <laughs> you are bringing in the most value. So if I have X number of dollars I'm spending on social media, what is that, you know, generating the most leads or should I be spending my money on events or mm -hmm. should I be spending it on a digital ad campaign? Like where are we getting the most results and where is it tracking and where does it make the most sense and how much is a lead costing from social versus a lead from an event? And that's just really critical when you have a small budget. So it was great to work with Wide Focus who had that goal in mind as well. And it's, it's always helpful to work with someone who has those measurements in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I feel like working with Teresa, especially on the startup side, startups can be really rocky and hard to work with, especially if they don't have a lot of funding and you don't know where the next uh, fundraising is going to come from and all of that. And what was powerful about working with Teresa was she had that all in mind, but she also knew the best ways to get the results that she wanted. And so... Um, she worked with KT and our ad strategist, and she'd say, well, I'm not so interested in this, but I really need this. And then we were able to modify our um, strategies based on what her needs were. And you're so good at articulating that um, and sharing it up the chain that I think that makes you a super value, valuable um, marketing executive for these startups because so many of them, they have the developers and maybe even the founder is a developer, and they don't have the chops to say, okay, how do we take marketing and expand this and get the visibility we need, not just with our investors for sure, but with potential new investors. And then on top of that with potential customers and um, without hiring a professional who knows how to do that, a lot of these startups fail because they don't, they, and then a lot of them move money away from marketing when they start to have cash flow problems and you're like, no, 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 you guys, marketing's where you're going to get the new cash. So you have to focus in the right way and to have someone on board who can communicate that I think is um, essential for a startup, especially in the tech side of things. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> so last question for both of you, um, and I'm not asking you to name names, but was there a particular client that was the biggest challenge of your career that either tested you or you just finally had to walk away because it just like everything in your tool set just didn't work. Yeah, I, um, we've had a couple actually, and it's changed the way 
we take on clients. Because um, we used to, and even now, we'll take on some smaller clients if we really feel like we can move the needle for them. Um, but I've walked, I've started working towards not taking on uh, one-person companies who mm. might have a cool product to sell or um, an interesting process, process that they're trying to get out there. Usually it's like an e-commerce client where um, it's one or two people, they have a cool product and they're not getting visibility. Um, and what we found is we can, if the, I think the big takeaway for a lot of those is, um, and we've had major clients too where this is an issue, even like a global foundation, which is social media can build a following, can drive um, awareness, can build thought leadership, and can drive tons and tons of traffic to your website. But if people get to your website and it's not built properly, or it's not built to convert, or it's not easy to read, or it's not mobile optimized, or it doesn't match um, what your brand really does, or your product's not good, then no amount of traffic, as, holly, as qualified as it is, um, is going to help your company be successful. And I think the biggest places where we've shot ourselves in the foot or, the, or um, were successful but not successful for the client was where um, they weren't really ready for us, whether they were too small and they weren't, didn't have the budget um, or they hadn't worked through the product well enough to really make sure it was going to resonate with specific target audiences or their website was just not built to do what it needed to do. And um, those, a lot of those clients, when you give them that feedback, instead of saying, oh, we really need to fix this, they're more like, hey, we did that. You do your job, I'll do my job. And so um, I'm a lot more selective about who we take on because it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking in two ways. One is we do all this wonderful work. We build these huge, huge audiences for them. We drive traffic to the website and they go month and months without a sale or without enough sales. And we know it's not because of the traffic. We know it's because of the product or the website. So it's heartbreaking to do all that hard work. But also, like, we're taking their money and nothing good's coming out of it. Um, and especially for these entrepreneurs who are just out there selling cool things, uh, it feels awful to say, hey, you know, we still need that $2,500. I'm sorry you didn't get any sales. So, um, like, again, we want to support our clients. So when we can't and when it's the whole help us help you piece, if they won't let us help them, then... Um, we have to let go and it's it is i hate it and it's definitely heartbreaking in a lot of ways yeah for me it's um two red flags that i see with companies one is they've never had marketing before <laughs> <laughs> or two is wow. the whole conversation revolves around how marketing has no value uh, there was a recent conversation i had where with a ceo who said that marketing tends to be a bunch of talkers and not doers. And so those are, you know, those sentiments are typically um, indicative of the lack of um, respect or value placed on marketing. And so those are the companies that I tend to try to avoid. And a lot of us, um, I think marketers, we tend to be the folks who can want to come in and rescue something. Mm. And the first time marketing role, a lot of times you're like, yeah, this is great. I can lay the foundation. I can make my mark. 
Um, but you really have to look at the history of the company and why they haven't had marketing before because sometimes there's a red flag there. You can't combat a philosophical difference. Exactly. There's you a lot of dig other and, yeah. and uncover that. Yeah, there's a lot of other objections you could overcome, you know, budget or whatever or strategy, but if they simply don't believe that you exist, that's Whether it's going to work or make any difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, better to walk away. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great. Um, thank you for the notes. <laughs> Sorry we didn't get through all the bullet points, but this was, um, again, I'll, I'll actually post this because it's great. The, the level of detail and the, the, uh, the preparation that goes into basically the effectiveness. So, And uh, where can people find you? I'll post links to everything, but where can people reach out to? Um. <laughs> So the company is Wide Focus Social Media, and we are at Wide Focus. It's W-I-D-E-F-O-C dot U-S. Um, I'm at Dating Dad on Twitter. I'm Eric Elkins on Instagram. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. And you can reach me at Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A dot closer, K-L-O-S-C-R at gmail.com. And I'm Teresa Closer on Twitter and on LinkedIn and on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> are we Facebook friends, Teresa? I don't think we are. <laughs> Sorry, we're in real life. That's way better. Yes, real life. Yes. Well, this has been great. I love thinking about this and um, seeing a skill set that something that I use and know very well, but sort of the behind the scenes of just. And it's always, like I said earlier, professional, right? It's the, the very, very subtle degrees of difference that separate um, professionals from the amateurs. And I definitely consider myself a social media amateur and seeing the work that you put into this is, is very impressive. So thanks for making the time. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Eric. Tech episodes of this podcast are now supported by Furos.io. That is F-U-R-O-S.io. Furos is a Denver cloud consulting firm. And chances are, if there's a big building in downtown Denver with their logo on the outside of it, Furos has got people in there doing some very interesting work that has an impact on those businesses. They focus on AWS, cloud consulting, and Their mantra is simple, hire the best people they can, pay them really well, and let them work on challenging, interesting projects that have impacts on the business. So if you are struggling with the cloud, and I know that's a really overused word in the tech space, and projects aren't getting done, and you need some help, look them up, furos.io, that is F-U-R-O-S dot I-O.